Section 2 of Dave Brings Home a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dave Brings Home a Wife by Steel Rudd. Chapter 11 Dave's New House. Dad kept faith with Dave, and accompanied by Bill and Cranky Jack, went with the dray to remove the house that was on Grogan's abandoned selection. It was an easy house to knock down, what was standing of it, but it was tedious work gathering it all up, and a lot of it was hard to find. The building in its old age had become dislocated, got away from itself, and lay scattered here and there in the long grass like the bones of a dead beast. The two doors and the window were missing altogether, and their absence gave Dad a lot of anxiety. "'Wonder what the devil's become of them," he said, after searching the paddock for hours in vain. "'I should be here somewhere.' But Bill fancied there never were any. He couldn't remember having seen them, and he'd often been in the old house, got wet under its roof many a time when seeking shelter in it from the rain. Rubbish! Dad snorted. Don't I recollect the place long before any of you was born? Forty-two years ago I stayed in it a night with a grogan, and there was two good doors to it then, and a window in front made of sawn timber. I remember them well. They're not here now, anyway, Bill answered, concluding the argument and approaching the loaded dray. If I could get the hinges, Dad murmured, rooting up the remains of an ancient fire with the toe of his boot. Wouldn't matter so much. And easily knock up a door or two. Dad had to abandon the search and start home with the dray. Dad made two trips to Grogan's, and when he arrived with the second load, Dave, who had just come in for dinner, visited the scene of action to give a hand to unload. Well, what do you think of it? Dad asked cheerfully, as he arranged the timber on the ground according to the lengths. Pretty old, some of it, Dave replied, staring hard at the pile of rubbish. Old? Dad answered. Why, bless my soul, it's all the better for that. It's your green timber that's the ruin of half the houses, man. I'd never dream of building a place out of green timber myself. Look at Daly's place. Nearly every slab in it is tumbling out. I've got that short you could put your head between some of them. And when it was put up first, I don't suppose there was a better fitted house in the country. And it's all because the timber was green. Dave pointed to a corner post that was mostly eaten away, out of the pulpy remains of which grass was growing luxuriantly. That only wants a bit of Adson, Dad said. And you'll find it as sound as a bell. Dave was doubtful. Donner, he drawled. Certain of it, Dad answered, plucking some of the grass from the post. Just upend it and feel the weight. But Dave's eyes had wandered to several slabs with large holes mortised in them, and slices burnt off the ends and edges of them, and he stooped and turned one over. Well, yes, Dad admitted reluctantly. I've been knocked about a bit. Some fool of a traveller, no doubt. He went on in explanation. Has been letting his fire burn too near him. But they'll come in handy, you'll find. They'll do very well for the partition, with a bit of paper put over them holes. No one will ever see them. Dad didn't believe in carting timber three or four miles just to throw it away. Next day, Dave suggested giving a hand to erect the house. Dave was anxious it should be built according to the plans and specifications he and Lily had decided upon, but Dad wouldn't hear of it. Leave it to me, he said. And you get on with the ploughing. I know exactly the sort of house she wants, 
And I'll make a good job of it, believe me. Then Bill and Dad searched for the crowbar, and when they had given the axe and the adze a touch-up on the grindstone, the new house started to go up. It went on going up, and coming down, for weeks. Dad used to come down with it too sometimes. He came down along with a lot of it one day, and lay under the ridgepole till Bill stopped laughing and extricated him. Then Dad cursed Bill for not watching it properly, and they fell out, and Bill was ordered off the job. Bill went cheerfully, and Dad put Barty on in his place. But Barty did not turn out a success. Barty had never been engaged on a building before, and had no confidence in himself. He had no confidence in Dad either. He was afraid of Dad, and became confused and did the wrong thing whenever Dad shouted at him. And Barty was no good unless someone did shout at him. And he hadn't been twenty minutes on the job when Dad, mounted on the wall, said, pointing the hammer, Hand me that button. There were a dozen or so lying about. Barty was anxious to please Dad, and with rare alacrity handed him the wrong baton. No, no. And Dad wagged his head impatiently. The other one behind you. They were all behind Barty. Barty dropped the baton he had in his hand and seized another and poked the end of it hurriedly at Dad. Damn it! Dad yelled. Why can't you look where I'm pointing? There! You're standing on it! Barty's foot covered three or four batons. Dropping the second baton, Barty pointed to another. This one, then. He whined. Yes, that's the one. Dad roared. It's big enough to see, ain't it? Barty snatched up another. No, confound it, no! Dad howled. The other one! That one! And he let fly the hammer viciously at the baton he required and struck Barty hard on the foot. Ooh, ooh, Barty suddenly bellowed and danced round the heap of timber on one leg. Well, why the devil didn't you keep your eyes open? Dad growled. Barty blubbered in a lower key, placing the toe of the maimed foot lightly to the ground and breaking into a limp. Damn it! From Dad. Am I going to have to stand here all day? Hand me back that hammer and stop your hopping about. And Barty, lifting the tool, stood with it in his hand, staring up in terror at Dad. Hand me that hammer! Dad fairly yelled. Barty shuddered. Do you hear? From Dad, louder than ever. You'll hit me with it. Dad let out another howl and started to descend, and Barty, forgetting his injured limb, turned and fled. He also forgot to leave the hammer. Dad followed in pursuit. Where is he? He yelled, stamping through our house. Where the devil? Good day, Mr. Rudd. It was the soft voice of the parson that spoke. He had dropped in on his rounds and was enjoying a cup of tea along with Mother and Lily in the sitting room. Oh. Dad jerked out, stopping abruptly. It's you. And the parson rose and warmly shook hands with Dad and asked him if he was enjoying good health. And Mother, taking advantage of the opportunity to calm Dad, asked him to have a cup of tea. Before Dad could answer, Lily jumped to her feet to hand him the beverage and revealed the terrified form of Barty crouching behind her chair. You dog! Dad roared, his eyes ablaze with anger. But Barty sprang behind the parson and clung to the tails of his long black coat and ducked from side to side, sparring for a chance to make a dash for the open door. The door was behind Dad. You tinker! Dad howled, grabbing round one side of the astonished cleric for a grip of Barty and kicking out on the other side of him whenever Barty dodged that way. 
Dear me, calm yourself, calm yourself, Mr. Rudd, the parson exclaimed, holding up his two hands in front of Dad to implore peace, while Mother called, Father, don't be foolish. But Dad was bent on securing some of Barty at any cost, and aimed another heavy circular kick at him and bruised the parson's shins. The parson dropped his hands and screwed his face about and cried, Good gracious me. Oh, keep out of the way, then. Dad foamed apologetically into the clergyman's ear. Or I can't help hurting you. Then the parson thought it wise to free himself of Barty and made an effort to desert. But Barty kept a firm grip of his coat and used it as a lever to keep him in position. At last, Dad's wrath overcame his judgment, and in his haste he stumbled forward against the table and gave Barty an opening. Barty flashed through the door like a wallaby, and Dad made a late kick at him and fell heavily on the floor and rattled the crockery in the kitchen. Dear, oh dear, oh dear, the parson said angrily, and Dad roared, You imp of a fella, and rose and hobbled after Barty, but he might just as well have remained on the floor. Next day, Joe joined Dad, and between them, Joe rattling the hammer on the roof of the new house and Dad belting slabs into position with the back of the axe, they kept up a great noise, You'd think they were building the federal capital. Occasionally, Dad, with the axe on his shoulder, would stand some yards off from the building to take observations, just as he would when making a haystack. How does she look? Joe would ask, and Dad would answer, Capital! It'll be a neat little place when it's finished. Then he'd walk around it and add splinters from the walls and ram the loose earth tight against the foot of the slabs with the heel of his boot. Frequently, the neighbours passing by would ride in through the gate and ask Dad what it was he was putting up, and Dad would tell them and ask what they thought of it and invite them to look through it. Most of them smiled and thought it a very nice place. At least, that's what they told Dad. But young Regan rode in one day and sat on his horse and grinned disparagingly at the new house. Well, Dad said sulkily, what the devil's the matter with you? Dad had no love for the Regans. I was just wondering, young Regan answered. If there was anything the matter with you, and if this is a private asylum, you're putting up for yourself to get into when it's finished. Look here! And Dad rushed round in search of a baton, but young Regan had gone before he could secure one from the pile. Dave and Lily came along one evening, and Dad put down the axe and showed them over the place. Lily looked inside and stared at the grass on the ground floor and the large holes burnt in the partition and said nothing. Most young wives go into raptures over their first new house, exaggerate its beauty and do their best to make others believe it's a grander place than the architect meant it to be. But Lily wasn't one of those. She hadn't much enthusiasm in her at all. Dad, though, discoursed volubly about it. A strong-built little place, he said, walking from one room to the other. There were two rooms in the new house. And every bit of it's well nailed, all new nails too. And it'll be a queer storm that ships it, believe me. These holes are nothing. He went on, putting his foot through one in the partition and looking at Lily. Paste a bit of paper over him, or... His enthusiasm increased. You can put the safe there, and no one'll ever see him. You'll never know they're there yourself after a while. And Dad smiled in admiration of his own originality. But won't there be any floorboards at all? Lily murmured, with a sickly look at Dave, who was standing gloomily beside her. Dave looked at Dad. It'll all be done in good time, Dad said encouragingly. But you can't do everything at once. All the best houses round the district had ground floors in them when they were first put up. 
And, he added, tramping the floor hard with both feet, this is very solid here, firm as a rock. And when the grass comes off and there's a little sand and cow dung put on, I'll mix a bucketful to show you how it's done. It'll be as good as any boards, every bit and better. Lily made an effort to say something, but a lump seemed to stick in her throat. Them are fine slabs, Dad rattled on, drawing Dave's attention to the walls. There's no timber to be got in the country like that nowadays. Must be eighteen inches wide, them slabs. Proceeding to span one with his big hand. Fully that, he concluded. If not more. Dave didn't say anything. Dad didn't give him an opportunity. Now then, Dad continued, turning to the end of the building. What about a fireplace? You gonna have one, or will we put up a place outside in front for you to cook under? And he looked hard at Lily. Oh. Lily whined feebly, clutching Dave by the shirt sleeve. We must have a fireplace. Well, Dad said advisingly. We're not always an advantage, you know. In summer they make a room that up there's no living in a place where there's one. And when the westerly winds are blowing in the winter, the smoke from some of them would drive a man cranky. I'd never have one in a house myself if I were building again. Oh, what would be the good of it without a fireplace? Lily whined again, appealing to Dave. Very well, then. Very well, then. Dad put in. It's you that'll have to put up with it. Not me. I think it would be better. Dave drawled, supporting Lily's idea. All right, all right. Dad said, frowning. Oh, look what timber there is, and if there's enough, we'll see about it. Dad did look some days after, but there wasn't enough timber. After walking round the outside of the house in silence, Lily and Dave turned away from it as if it were a morgue they had been inspecting, and left in silence. When about fifty yards off, they turned and took another look at it. I thought it was to be a different place to that, Lily moaned. And no veranda on it either. Then she started to cry and said she would be ashamed to take anyone to such an ugly den. Dave began to wake up. Well, if you don't think you will like it, Lil, he said, finding some courage, I'll go back and tell him to knock it down. I ain't afraid to say so. No, no, Lily answered, wiping her eyes hurriedly. I don't mind now. I don't care a bit. It'll do. But we'll get a better one soon, won't we? Ah, he can't get out of it, Dave drawled. Oh, he's weird for it. Lily was satisfied and clung lovingly to Dave's arm and walked on smiling. But Lily didn't know Dad then. She knows him a lot better now. At last the house was finished, and Dad gathered up the tools one evening and said, Yeah, they can go into it now as soon as they like. Then Dave and Lily pulled down their bed and collected all the miscellaneous pieces of furniture and pots and pans and things about the place which Mother said she didn't want, and a good many things she didn't say anything at all about, and left us and took possession of their new home. End of section two.